Welcome back to Quest Exploration. This is episode four. Uh, we're joined today again by Brian Sprang, our Chief Information Officer. This is your co-host, Matt Jennings, a CEO of Quest Federal Credit Union. And where we left off with the last uh, episode of Exploration, we were discussing online security management, I guess is what I'm going to call it, Brian, to kind of keep it simple. Uh, but we had we had really touched on some of the uh, higher level things that, uh, that go on with people's online banking uh, data security their password security, password management, how to lock down your login, that type of thing. And we're going to follow that up with this second episode and, and keep on going and, and get people the information they need to stay safe out there. So, um, Again, uh, I'm joined by Brian Sprang. He is our CIO. He gave you a little bit of his background in our last episode, and, and Brian is uh, great at what he does. Uh, brings a lot of talent and effort and energy to uh, to this that you know a lot of times goes unlooked, I, uh, overlooked. I guess is a better word that people. Um, don't understand, you know, just how at risk they are to some of these things that happen over your smartphone, over your regular home phone, over your over your laptop or your uh, iPad device, that type of thing. And so we're trying to get this information out. We want people to listen. Um you know, be wise and hear from somebody that's an industry leader. Uh, is very highly respected in our field uh, for what he knows. And we're trying to hand that information down. So, uh, Brian, welcome back. And uh, thank you. And uh, let's talk a little bit about social engineering and fishing. Now, this fishing isn't like me and dad went out to the pond and fished with a rod and reel. This is fishing with a pH. pH fishing. Um, I'm not, you know, there's probably a reason it got uh, started that way, but it's, uh, I mean, fishing for information, fishing for compliments right. that probably, uh, it was the Genesis of it somewhere along the line, but it's been, uh, respelled. Yep. To fishing with a pH. So, uh, social engineering is just another form of a con, uh, to convince, uh, somebody that's un unknowing, unwilling, uh, susceptible to falling for some sort of bad action. Maybe it's against them. Maybe it's against somebody else. Uh, the social engineering and phishing that we're talking about today happens mostly by email. I'm sure that you've all had a chuckle about it, but you know, there are several princes in Nigeria and, um, so much money, so much money. Um, you know, and we've actually had some, uh, staff members come to me and say, Hey, Brian, at my personal, on my personal email account, I, I got an email from a long lost relative up in Canada. Mm -hmm. They're up in the Yukon territory. They've got, uh, millions of acres and, uh, you know, principalities and, and everything that you could want to just, uh, just say you're my relative and we'll trace, transfer all that over to you and, and make sure that you get paid handsomely for doing so. Um, these are the types of phishing attacks. Now, those are kind of chuckle, funny, ha ha <laughs> messages, but a lot of times those are um, less funny and, and easy to recognize and they uh, are more serious and they have a sense of urgency. We touched, we touched on that with the phone call attacks in, in the previous episode about how somehow, some way, in order to get you off balance, to catch you off guard, they will say that this is immediate. This is urgent. If you don't 
it's a threat. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's, those are the kind of email messages that you really have to look out for. Um, social engineering is a psychological attack and it, it's that psychological attack that tricks you into thinking that you're doing something, uh, you shouldn't do, but they're manipulating you to do it. Um, you know, scammers, con artists, it's, it's all the same thing. If somebody came to your door and said that they had a million bucks in the back of their van, you'd probably laugh at them, slam the door. You got to do the same thing here, folks. If you get an email and it says that, uh, you know, if you don't do this within 24 hours, um, especially if it's from the government, a lot of times somebody's going to say, oh, you've got back taxes. We've got a case open against you. Um, these these kinds of emails are not going to come in this format. Uh, these or these types of issues, I should say, are, are not going to be brought to you in this way. Um, they will be sent to you via letter from the IRS or Social Security Administration. Um, even your 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 bank or credit union is, is going to send you some sort of official transcript. And we're not going to open up cases against people by email. And that, that, that's true in virtually every industry. Um, you know, it's just not the way these things work. Um, well, and, and you and I know here at the credit union, we don't really initiate anything via email. No, we might send you your e e-statement notice via email, but that's a broadcast. Everybody that signed up for it gets it. And it's very generic or, you know, with some marketing in it, but even on the loan side, which is where, you know, we exchange a lot of confident, confidential information. We're not doing that via email and we're not initiating that contact via email unless you emailed, Hey, Crane, uh, could you take a look at this used car loan for me? Sure. And then, but Crane's not going to be sending you, you know, Hey, click this link and I need the, you know, your full social and date of birth. Uh, So, uh, yeah. And, and this time of year, I know you test us on this frequently, which is, it's a riot when Brian does it, when none of us know myself included. Um, but Brian tests us on these and it's really, um, we probably weren't very good at it in the beginning. Is that safe to say? Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, but we've gotten better at it. Absolutely. Right. And and we're constantly being trained and, and talked to about do not click these links. If you don't know this is coming, if you didn't initiate this, yeah. it's delete, 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 ignore, ignore, ignore. Absolutely. And would a, a social engineering phishing uh, example this time of year be like, hey, John Smith wants to wish you a happy holiday. Click on the card to see. Yes. Right. Yes. If you're getting e-cards, I mean, that was really prevalent a couple of years ago. I think um, those services found out that they were being taken advantage of. So I don't hear about that as much anymore. But absolutely, if somebody sends you a message um, and you don't recognize the sender or something feels a little bit off, um, that's your first red flag. Another red flag is if you didn't ask for a file, but there's a file attached mm-hmm. and you don't recognize it, don't click on it. Right. Word documents, Excel documents, zip files. Those are three of the, of the most highly infected types of files available. PDF files can even be infected, although those are a little bit less likely to target and have, um, bundled code like uh, Microsoft Word documents, Excel documents, zip files, oftentimes in, in nefarious ways will carry payloads of software, little bits of code scripting that when you open the file, it immediately tries to do something 
on your computer. Right. Um, you, you, you probably see it, excuse me, just a second. <clears throat> you probably see it a lot when, um, you're receiving files from somebody legitimately, but once you download the file and open it, you were expecting a Word document, you got a Word document, it's from the president of your organization, but Microsoft tries to do their best with preventing you from running anything. And a lot of times at the very top of that went of that document or Excel file, it'll say enable content or enable editing because they're putting you into a safe mode first. Um, you know, again, we're talking about people, stuff from people, you know, well, consider if you're getting stuff from people you don't know. And if your immediate step is to open the file, and your second step is to enable editing or enabling content, that is the trigger that then says to the Word document or Excel file, start that script, unload the payload, and do the damage that is intended. And again, this could be taking control of your computer. It could be installing software behind the screen, uh, behind the scenes, in a background way that might be key logging software. It might be set to transmit data. Um, it may be set to deliver ransomware. That's the biggest one that you've got to worry about. You see health systems, public utilities, um, municipalities, people, uh, school systems, everybody across the board are, you know, ransomware is, is rampant. And it's, it's again, a lot like the, the phone call attacks that are illegal. Ransomware is illegal. Deploying it on somebody's computer is illegal, but it's become a legitimate business in terms of, I was infected with ransomware. I will pay you the $500 as an individual. I will pay you the hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for a public utility, municipality, healthcare system to become uninfected, give me my files back. And that becomes good money paid to bad actors, legitimate money going to bad people, thereby washing it and making it. Well, and unfortunately, you know, we live in a we live in a in a world where when people are under duress, which we've all been under duress over the last eight nine months with the with the pandemic, mm-hmm. and of course, so let's use that to attack healthcare systems of all people uh, yeah. and school districts when you know they're trying to figure out how to keep kids learning in a hybrid or a remote and yeah. environment and okay, let's attack them yeah. and then take over their software. It's ridiculous, you know. It, it it's unfortunate, but it is the world we live in, and it, th- this is the kind information that Brian can provide to us that that keeps us all safe. Uh, and if you use it on a personal level, wonderful. If you use it personal and professional level, that's even better. Yep. Anything, anything you pick up from this or other places, I mean, it all applies. Uh, you know, keep in mind that these social engineering attacks, they're not just limited to phone calls or email. They can happen in any form. Matt touched on it in part one of this, uh, you know, little series uh, called smishing or, or S- M ishing, um, short for, or, or, or I guess a play on SMS text. And that's the type of text messages that we all receive on our phones, but smishing. So you may get random junk mail, uh, text messages with a link. Don't ever click the link. Don't ever click the link. Um, it's, a, it's one of the easiest things you can do. If you don't recognize the, the who sent it, ignore it, delete it, 
So, Brian, for the rest of us, the non-IT related people out there, you know, I think it's something commonly referred to many, many years ago, but we still hear the phrase Trojan horse. You know, if you see any of these things, it's just a Trojan horse and not just a Trojan horse. I mean, it's a Trojan horse and it's there to create damage. Right. So delete it. Do do not accept it. Absolutely. Yeah, Matt, that's that's a good phrase from from early days of kind of hacking and stuff. Trojan horses, worms, um, malware, bots. uh, These are all things that that have started started when we started the Internet. You know, the Internet is great. We love it. We use it every day. We couldn't really do life without it now. But uh, unfortunately, when it was developed, there's always going to be somebody that found a way to to deviously take advantage of it and and use it badly. So, yeah, absolutely. You don't want to download or use anything that uh, is sent to you in those emails, especially if you don't recognize the sender. Um, So you've got a sense of urgency. You've got a unknown sender. You've got a file or links in that email message that, that seem out of the ordinary or that you didn't ask for. These are all important red flags. A lot of times you'll also notice in those phishing messages, I'm kind of tailoring this towards email, but you'll notice grammatical errors, misspellings. Mm -hmm. Um, Watch out for that. I mean, we all get in a hurry. We all make mistakes, but these tend to come from people where English is not a native language and they may run it through a translator and the translator might not get it spot on. And I notice words out of context. Yes. Right. Where it's uh, it's the right word not used in the proper context and it's a dead giveaway where we all use spell check. Right. 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 Spell check is going to get, you know, spell check is your friend and you should always reread your message before you send it. Um, But these are those are some more red flags. Um, I'm trying to think of, oh, uh, if they're trying to say that they're from Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Apple, you know, they're going to try and include some images uh, in the email message sometimes. I mean, I've seen in in uh, kind of industry mailers, uh, white papers and 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 online via Twitter and, and Facebook groups that I'm a part of, you know, some examples of really, really good phishing messages that that can fool even the best of us and myself included. Um, so you've really got to watch out for that. They will make the message look like it came from the right place, make you log into your office.com account. And before you know it, you're on a website. Um, that brings us back to links. If there's a link in the email, hover over the link, read there's always going to be like a little bubble or a little pop-up mm-hmm. when you hover over that somewhere, whether it's right under uh, what you're hovering on with your mouse pointer or whether it's in a status bar area, but it's going to show you the link destination. And and a lot of times there are going to be dead giveaways in that. It'll be like Microsoft.con.com. Right. It'll be something like... Um, a couple of letters out of place, like maybe it's micro S O T F dot com, mm-hmm. uh, where they've just changed it. They own that domain or that 
domain then links you to two or three other places and it'll take you down that rabbit hole of getting you away from a good place to a bad place real quick. And so when you say hover, and we have to be careful not to click when we're doing this, but it's simply just putting your mouse pointer over the link without clicking anything, just to illuminate it, so to speak. You you can do the same thing with the sender of the email. Is that correct? Yes. Because a lot of times it'll just give you like the the name, the contact information will be just the name of the sender, but you can always do that with uh, with the email address. So I've seen some that are really good, especially in the training that you have us do that, you know, it says uh, Facebook customer support yeah. is the sender, quote unquote. But you hover over that, remind you not to click, but you hover over that and then it gives you the actual email and you can tell right away, yes. you know, it is yes. not Facebook customer support, right? Yeah, from a from a real world working lessons that we've learned over the years in the here at Quest Federal Credit Union is that, you know, we publish our board of directors. It's the right thing to do. We want our members to know who is leading the credit union, pointing us in the right direction. Then we've got all of our senior staff members, uh, all of our branch managers, all of our um, uh, staff members at those branches. We've got that all listed because we want to help keep you informed. We don't feel that that's something we need to hide from anybody, certainly. But unfortunately, because that information is published, it can also be used against us. Um, and there have been many times over the years where people will look at the website um, because this is what they do. And it's not just limited to Quest. It's every financial institution in town, around the county, around the state, around the nation, around the world. But they'll find that information and use it against you. So we we have been on the receiving end of so many messages from former board presidents, um, I'm going to use Dick Wilcox, our former board president, just because this is a real world thing that we dealt with and that he would send, uh, he, I'm air quoting, he would send messages that would suggest that he was in trouble or that he was needing some wire forms to be sent, initiating a transfer of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not something that our board president is going to do. So our staff have to be aware of that. But we also note that, you know, it said it was from Dick Wilcox, but like Matt was alluding to, when you double clicked on the email address after the fact, after it was deactivated, if you will, or you hover over it, the email address was not the board president's email address whatsoever. It was somebody acting as if he were. And that's just something that we have had to deal with. And I'm sure that other people listening will probably have similar uh, experiences. Yeah. And we've learned Brian has trained us well. Just delete it, yep. you know, and, and if it really was Dick needing something, yeah. he would call or walk in yeah. the door. Sarah would do the exact same yeah, thing. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, you've got to learn to just ignore those things. And I'm I'm fortunate to have Brian. All of us are fortunate to have Brian where if I think it could be legit, but I'm not exactly sure because I really didn't request it. But it's maybe a e-signature of a contract that we're being sent. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, before I click any of them and I, I could be expecting it and I'm still going to send it to Brian and say, Hey, just take a peek at this before I click on 
you know, yeah. sign and approve type That's of thing, scary. scared to death of it because I'd rather accidentally delete something that I shouldn't have than accidentally click on something that I shouldn't have. So, um, yeah, it's all great advice. And I know the listeners out there don't have a Brian in there, you know, <laughs> well, now you do. right. That's, that's very true. And, and I think the, the takeaway from the, that instance is, Delete it, yeah. delete it Absolutely. and ignore it. And, and, and if it was legit, someone's going to reach out to you in a different format to talk to you about it, Correct. but the safe play is just delete. Yes. Right. So just to run this down, we did it in the first episode on this topic, but just to common clues, red flags, a tremendous sense of urgency or some sort of uh, fictitious made up crisis. That's a key. That's a clue. Um, pressure to bypass or ignore your normal security policies, procedures, or protocols that you would normally follow when doing business. That sense of urgency gets you off your feet a little bit. It's like, Oh, is this, is this real? Hey, send me, send me a wire. Don't, don't worry about talking to Matt. I already talked to Matt about it. Send me a wire. Requests for sensitive information they should have, uh, should not have access to or should already know. Again, if they're asking you for your account number, but saying they're from Quest Federal Credit Union, hang up, delete, do whatever you've got to do, because we've already got that information. Your healthcare provider already has that information. Your retirement advisors, uh, websites, so on and so forth. They already have that information. Um, an email or message from a friend or coworker that you know, but the message just doesn't seem right, especially if you're part of an, uh, an organization which has made its uh, membership public. If you're in a leadership position with the United Way or Chamber and Business Alliance or, uh, you know, your version of those kinds of organizations, if that leadership chart is available on the website, it probably could be used against you uh, to, to somehow make you feel like it is uh, coming uh, from within the house, but it's not. And and then, of course, playing on your curiosity or if something is just too good to be true. I mean, a lot of the email attacks to normal everyday people, not business associates, that kind of stuff are, hey, this is so and so I've got five thousand dollars, but I can't really spend it. But here's how we can get that money freed up. You go to Best Buy, you buy 10 gift cards at five hundred dollars each. And then what you're going to do is you're going to send me. That those gift cards, and I'll send you a check in return for the money that you have spent. Well, guess what? You just spent $50,000 on gift cards and then they don't ever send you a check to reimburse you and you've lost that money, but they have legitimate gift cards now. They can do whatever they want to do with that. So that's a common tactic that says, hey, go get these gift cards. We'll send you some money to re reimburse you, but, but I've got to have this now. You got to go now. If you don't, if you're being watched, nobody's watching you like that. I mean, unfortunately, we feel like that's a, a legitimate thing that happens. And, and certainly that does happen uh, in places, but it's not as, as common as I feel like these attackers make you feel like it is. Um, so those are some real important tips to, to, to look out for on the social attack, social engineering, phishing, smishing, uh, email attacks, that kind of stuff. Good. Great information. Now, uh, this one's always one that, you know, I, I tend to just trust it when it tells me to, to update yeah. and, uh, up, whether it's update, uh, you know, antivirus, of course I, I'm really, 
try to stay in tune with that. Like if I open my laptop and it, it gives me the little yellow exclamation point, you know, I want to get there and get that updated right away before I ever open my email. Um, but talk to us about updates. I, you know, I know it's important. It is. Uh, it's, is it, you know, I'll, I'll let you take sure. the, take the floor, but sure. I have a couple questions, I guess, as we go through this. The reason why updates are so important is because there are always vulnerabilities in software. There is no software product on the market. And you got to think of software, not just as your um, Adobe Photoshop, not just as your Adobe Acrobat reader for PDF files, Microsoft Office. Those are pieces of software. But guess what? Microsoft Windows, Mm -hmm. Apple OS, Apple iOS, the Android operating system, it's, it's all software. No software is perfect. No code is perfect. There are always going to be vulnerabilities because unfortunately they're programmed by humans. Humans make mistakes, not intentional, but they are made. So updates are important because there are always people looking for vulnerabilities. Um, There are so many ways that those vulnerabilities and weaknesses in software and and applications can be exploited that when you get an update notification, it's very important that you consider updating as soon as possible. So that's question one. You know, do you recommend people just set their PC, set their um, laptop to just auto update? I do. Okay. I do. I know that some people will roll their eyes or yell at me uh, through their, through their listening devices right now and say, but I don't always want the updates that are coming, especially with a major operating system update, whether it's windows, Apple OS, iOS, or Android being the kind of the biggest and most important for operating systems that we all use. Um, I understand that. And there may be reasons why you don't immediately jump to a new version of an, of, of a, of an operating system, but by and large, it's a good idea because they roll up so many updates and, and patches for those vulnerabilities that it's really important. Now there may be a little bit of a waiting period. Um, you know, let, like, let's take windows versions, uh, windows seven, and Windows 10. For a long time, people were unwilling to update from Windows 7 to Windows 10 because it was such a change in the way it looked and the way it operated. Um, And that might be a reason why you don't update automatically. But I think the updates automatically being pushed to your device and being taken up, once you've made that switch to a major new version of an operating system definitely turn on auto updates. I understand that there might be some, some, some concerns about, well, how am I going to know how to do the next thing on the, okay, take a minute, read the website reviews, watch the videos, do what you want to do in that terms before making a a two footed jump into the pool with, with a major, major update. But once you've got it update, once you've got it installed, definitely turn on auto updates. Um, same for apps on your phone. I mean, there are, there are always going to be changes. I mean, some apps update daily, which can be a nuisance, but again, it's most of the time it's with your best interest at, at heart because there are going to be issues, code vulnerabilities, crashes, um, ways for you to be exploited that, that you just need to patch up. I mean, so, so yes, I do recommend 
software updates being turned on automatically. And unless you're really diligent about it, and I don't, you know, I can speak from my own experience that uh, when I haven't had manual updates turned on, I can't, I will get versions behind um, because you just don't think about it. You know, you just do your everyday job, do your everyday business. And then sure enough, it's months later and those updates are still there. But guess what? So are the vulnerabilities. So are the vulnerabilities. So you mentioned the eye roll. And I get, I, 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 understand <laughs> I get it too. I hate it when like Instagram rolled out a, a silly update that moved the new post button from the bottom to the top. And it was all about commerce and e-commerce. And I guess that's fine in a way, but it, it just messed with the flow of the app. So, so that, I guess that leads me to, to question too. And that is, you know, I see an update come through on my phone and I don't always like the changes. And there was an iOS update here recently that kind of rearranged everything, yeah. you know, from the way you set your time on your calendar, your, uh, you know, I'll get used to it. But when I see that, yeah. that red dot pop up, uh-huh. I feel compelled to, okay, I'm going to hook up to the Wi-Fi. I'm going to plug it in. I'm going to go ahead and do the update, even though I may not like every feature that they're rolling out, but I do trust and respect the fact that what they're doing is trying to fix something. So people will roll their eyes at you, but you still, your opinion, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but your opinion is bite the bullet, deal with the changes, protect yourself. Yes. I, I totally agree. And, and I, I do the same eye rolling and I get frustrated just like everybody else. Um, and I know that there are some people in the industry that I follow them on Twitter and they have uh, updates just stacked, you know, that they are steadfastly against it because they don't like this one feature. And I understand that, but there's a reason why they're doing it. And it's not always just the aesthetic uh, and the functionality of it. It's, it's because there are larger behind the scenes issues with exploits and code vulnerabilities that could be taken advantage of. And, and you just don't, you just can't have that, especially in a business sense. If so, if if there's somebody listening, you know, maybe you don't push the updates to everybody right away because there are tools that can help you do this. Um, Maybe you install it on one or two computers and see if it breaks any of the critical processes that you have. I mean, Microsoft isn't going to release an update that breaks the office suite of products. But it's maybe some other piece of right. software. Some other piece of software that has a plugin. Maybe it's QuickBooks. Maybe it's um, something else. I can't think of an example right off the top of my head. But yes, you know, those are things that are sometimes unavoidable. Unavoidable. But, you know, if you do pause a little bit, just set a, set a reminder, set a note, go back and look in a week, download it if it's ready or, or not. But yeah, you know, major software providers are going to tell you, hey, they're going to be aware of the updates that are coming out of Microsoft or Apple. And they may even preemptively say, we may recommend against updating right away because we know of an issue. We're working with them to resolve it. And it would be important you know, I would recommend that you sign up for their mailing lists about like when to get status updates and when to get product information. And yes, they're probably going to use it to market to you and try to sell you on something else. But a lot of times they'll also send out a message that says, Hey, with windows 10 coming out soon, we're recommending against updating right away, but we do recommend that you go ahead and update in the future. Once we get this little bug or issue worked out. So uh, taking that a step further, and I guess this is the last question that I have. 
like I told you, when I see the red uh, alert pop up that I've got an update or I open my laptop and it tells me that my antivirus needs an update, you know, I'm quick to do it. That's probably for the best. But is there is there anything we need to be looking for that is a threat where it's, hey, you need to update this or as long as it's coming from the operating system, as long as it's your phone telling you not an email, not a right. okay so let's talk or you talk about that, because I, I do get leery of. God, am I, should I be clicking on that? And and I I feel like when it's coming from the computer itself, from the phone itself. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, if it is somebody outside of the software provider telling you you need to download an update, I would definitely not trust that. <laughs> Delete it. But if it is a pop-up from within the app, a lot of the applications now are really good about notifying you and they'll give you options. They will not, in my experience, they will not force you to download it, um, but they will give you an option to say download and reinstall or relaunch uh, and and update or cancel. Uh, you might get that pop up a couple of times. Right. But to answer, the, you know, kind of answer the question that you asked, yes, those types of pop-ups and messages are to be trusted um, because they are coming from the software itself. So when I launch Photoshop to begin putting together some sort of ad or something, if there's an update, I will get a notification that says, hey, Adobe has a new Adobe Photoshop. There's an update available. There's a new version available. Um, and the same with Microsoft Office products. They all do that. Um, Apple products all do that. You know, yes. So if it comes from within the application, I would trust that pretty much without hesitation. Um, but if it's an outside prompt, like you said, an email, a text message somehow. I don't know if that would really happen, but it's feasible. Um, if it's coming from outside and you just don't recognize it, you just don't like the look of it, then yes, I would say don't trust it. that. That's a phishing attempt. Right. And I, and we've seen them that come from, you know, whether it says it's from Microsoft or whatever it may be, they also include that sense of urgency yes. that it, that there's a, they want you to feel that there's a threat. If yes. I don't do this, I will be susceptible yes. and delete. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, and, and, you know, Microsoft and Apple will telegraph and tell you mm -hmm. when things are coming. They will announce it at an event that you may not have known it took place. I mean, Apple has events a couple of three or four times a year, whether it's to introduce new devices, whether it's to introduce new software operating systems, but they have those events out in California at their campus, they broadcast them. And unless you're really in tuned to uh, those events and get them notification, you may not know that a new release is coming, but they will email you pretty much right after the event occurs to say, oh, a new, a, a new version of iOS is going to be launched and we expect it to be ready for the public on in three months time. We're still testing it. We're giving it to the developers to beta test their apps against the code. That's that breaking in period that we kind of touched on, which was that they know what's coming. The app developers are going to make it their apps ready for the new software. And then by the time it's publicly available, everything should just kind of flow together. Initially, 
first iPhones, first iOS versions. That was not the case, but that was a learning process for everybody. And, you know, Apple and Google and Microsoft, they all have different ways of going about it, but they all operate basically in the same manner, which is to say, we're doing this app developers get ready and they will know ahead of time, especially the major ones. So, um, one last thing to maybe touch on, and we're kind of running up against our, our self-imposed time limit, but backups and recoveries. I just want to touch on this. If you have the ability to do so, I highly recommend making backups of your devices. I mean, iPhones and Android devices, those tend to automatically back up every time you plug in your phone at night to charge them. If you plug it into your computer to, to, to download new music from, from whatever, or, or, you know, um, pictures, offload, upload, whatever. Um, backups oftentimes occur during those times for computers, laptops and desktop computers. It's a little bit different. There's no real service to do that. So whether you buy an external hard drive and attach that to your computer and back it up onto there, there's a lot of good software that helps you do that. There are also a lot of good online services, um, not to plug one over the other, but personal experience, I've used Backblaze. Uh, Backblaze.com is just one that I've used in the past. And it's a web service. You pay for a subscription and you basically pay per computer. And then once you download the Backblaze app to your computer, Windows uh, Windows or, or Apple-based products, um, it will allow you to set a schedule. And then during downtime, let's say overnight while everybody's sleeping, it will make a backup and upload that to your, uh, to servers, secure servers on, uh, on their end. And then you have a recovery in the cloud. Okay. So that was going to be my question is, you know, there's the talk of the cloud and for those that are not familiar or don't completely under, you know, they just, you know, the, I think the, the common thought process is, is that there's just some make-believe server in the sky because they call it cloud. But really what you're talking about is it, it is a cloud service. It is a cloud yes. option, but it, it is using the internet, yes. using yes. Wi-Fi or cellular yes. service to transfer your information yes. and store it securely yes. somewhere. Yes. Okay. On another server, on another storage farm somewhere else. And that is, I mean, that is what the cloud is, is it's just a, a lot of, a lot of servers and a lot of storage devices combined through, through applications and software and network networking and everything and make it possible for us to, us to do everything that we do. Amazon has Amazon service services and that's a huge service on our farm across the United States and you know, it gets, you know, it gets backed, up backed up to one place and then it replicated to other places and all of the major providers do that. Do that. Um, um, and so the cloud is always a cloud. It's just a bunch of servers and storage elsewhere that you don't know about, about good. good. Um, uh, you certainly, certainly don't want to know about attacks on data centers, um, physical or, or, or hacking, but that's what could happen. So it, it's backed up to the cloud and you may have to pay for the recovery process, but at least if you have it out there, it's, it's, it's there, it's available to you and you, you have that peace of mind. So you get pictures, app content, stuff like you can get that back. Yes. Okay. And and that makes sense. So um, anything else we need to know about backup and recovery? Um, Not, not really. I just recommend that you try to do that. It's, it's unfortunate 
from personal experience and, and hearing about personal experiences of others that, you know, you've got your laptop, you've got your phone that you take hundreds of thousands of pictures on, and then you get them onto the computer, but then the computer hard drive crashes. And then what do you do without a backup? Unfortunately, you're never going to get those photos back. Um, I know that Apple and Google and many others offer web photo backup services. That would, that's another great form. A lot of times, if you have a username and password, you can restore a lot of things immediately, like your app preferences and that stuff. Those are all backed up by the app developers, but those photos, those recordings, those videos, uh, important text messages and voicemails and that kind of stuff, loved ones after they've passed, if you can, if you can get those and download them and upload them to a backup service, Usually you just log in and, and you have access to them right then and there. So it's a lot like the updates, just yeah. however uncomfortable it is, yes. make the time yeah. and make sure that you update and you back up That's so true. that you can recover. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay. And you may have to pay for services. I mean, I know again, personal experience, you got, I've, I pay for extra Apple storage because it, there are just so many photos and so many backups that I'd like to keep that I'm fine with paying a couple extra bucks a month. Right. I mean, I think one, one, the first level of paid backups gets me all I want and it's 99 cents a, a month. Right. Yeah. A year. Yeah. And it may seem ridiculous that you have to pay for that, but at the same time, do it because you're going to be sad without it. I mean, you just, people lose stuff all the time. And, um, unfortunately that's the way it goes. I apologize for the, uh, the chime there. no, it's all right. It was probably telling you to update or back up, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you so much for doing this. I think we'll be back, uh, soon with Brian. I don't think I know we will be back as co-host of future episodes of exploration. I know we're, uh, kind of running out of time here for episode number four, but in the future, we're going to keep bringing you information about how to protect yourself online, mm -hmm. maybe some uh, as some drill down into our online banking yeah. and our mobile applications yeah. so that Brian can give you uh, some real uh, street level, we'll call it, um, information about usage and how to get uh, set up on your online, how to use the bill pay, how to take advantage of the biometric piece in our app. Um, we're also going to talk about lending. We're going to talk about savings. We're going to come back with uh, a couple of the uh, C-level managers and talk about new accounts and how to how to become a member of Quest, whether that's you personally, whether that's for your business, uh, your charitable organization. And so we look forward to continuing our series. Brian, do you want to close it out? Uh, not nothing uh, of any uh, additional importance, but I will put those same kinds of things back in the show notes with the uh, some links, some helpful links and some helpful content. So be sure to check those out. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for joining us again You're today, welcome. Brian. Thank I look you. forward to coming back and, and doing this again. It's it's fun Absolutely. and seems to be a good conversation. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy. Uh, we wish you all the best and we'll see you or you'll hear us sometime soon. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.